Hi everyone, thank you again for joining us. Um, this is our second post in a series that I've called Revelations and Glory. And last time we talked about the glory of God. And we talked about one aspect of his glory. There's no way that I could do justice uh, to his glory, of course, in any one podcast or any one post. But we talked about one aspect of it, and that came out of Proverbs 25, verse 2. I'm going to read that verse for us. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. Now, like I said last time, we talked about how, how the fact that God conceals things, that there's mystery in the Bible, that, the, that God uses parables, or that Jesus used parables whenever he was here. How does that add to God's glory? We answered that question last time. If you didn't get a chance to listen, I'd encourage you to go and check it out. But this time, I want to explore the second part of that verse. How does this affect us? How does this relate to us? It says that the glory of kings is to search things out. And, and I want to explore what does that do? How are we changed? Uh, why are we affected whenever we search out what God has concealed? The truth in the Bible, if we're honest, is profound, but it's also full of mystery. A little bit like we talked about last time, where, where it's hard to really fully understand just at first passing. See, whenever we read a verse, it often tells us a simple truth. And that, that simple truth is helpful to us. But as we behold that same verse, as we meditate on it, God begins to reveal a deeper truth that agrees with the first, but provides a fuller understanding of the eternal meaning of that truth. It, it, maybe let me try to illustrate it like this. It, it goes something along these lines. The first time that we glance um, uh, at a verse, it, it's sort of like looking at a picture. It's flat and it's still. It does tell us something, there's information there, but we don't always fully understand the context. And as we stare at it longer though, it begins to take shape. We see that there's more, more meaning than just the surface, than just what's on the surface. There's more than just that surface meaning. But there's a depth to the truth. It's like almost that, that still picture uh, transforms into a sculpture. It's still motionless, yes, but now there's a more comprehensive um, element to its significance. There's more that we can understand about it. We can look at it from different angles. But I think there's more to it even than that. See, as we meditate on it further, I think that we see that this truth isn't just static and inert, but it's alive and breathing, that there's still power to it, that there's power to change us, that it's still even unfolding today, that there's still some element of it today that's still awaiting its fulfillment and nothing short of eternity. And I think that that's the process that, that we go through whenever we really meditate on the truth in the Bible. But if I'm honest, that process is not something that we can do on our own. That process depends entirely on God. You see, while we can read the Bible without him, we can only receive revelation about what it means through him. And I think maybe even more to the point, it's only through the experience of revelation that our hearts are truly moved, that our hearts are moved to where we're inspired to be more like him. If we merely read the truth and just you know, saw it on a page, then maybe it would affect our minds, but that would only last for a little while. It would never reach our hearts, and it's really from our hearts that true and consistent change can flow. So the truth is not something that we can simply find, but it's something that we have to seek, something that must be sought, like that verse describes where we have to search things out. In God's divine wisdom, he chose to not tell us everything plainly, he didn't put everything out there on display in simple words. Instead, he has chosen to lead us to the truth slowly, 
he slowly reveals it to us when we seek him. This is the process of revelation, and it's that process that surprises us. And I think it's that sort of eureka moment that we get whenever we're reading through it and he just reveals something. We go, oh, wow, I didn't get that until just now. I think that's the process that surprises us and ultimately inspires us. We see him in a new light. And I think that we, we see him and we see how glorious he really is. And I think that that is what inspires us to be more like him. And that is the reason that it leads to our glory. Not because we have any glory on our own or that somehow we have this glory apart from him, but because this process of revelation inspires us to be like him. And he is glorious. Paul actually explains it. He explains how revelation relies on God and how his glory, God's glory, affects us when we see that revelation. I'm going to read this out of 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 14, where he explains it. He says, For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. So he's talking about the Israelites here, that whenever they read the Old Testament, that same veil of, of not being able to understand that there's still this element of mystery, that they don't really, they haven't necessarily received revelation about it, because only through Christ is it taken away. He goes on to say, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, the phrasing in this verse tells us plainly that we are not the ones who change ourselves. It says that we are being transformed, that it's something that is happening to us, not something that we're doing. And more explicitly, Paul tells us that it is God who transforms us. He says that this comes from the Lord. But what is our part in this? I think that's the question that we're left with. How do we receive this transformation? The verse tells us that our part is beholding the glory of the Lord. And I think to really understand that, we have to think about what that word beholding means. So let's break it down in the original language. In the original language, this is actually a compound verb. In other words, it combines two verbs together. It combines katoprizo, which means to reflect as a mirror, and mino, which means to stay, abide, or remain. And I actually want to start with the second verb, mino, because it emphasizes more clearly to me our role. You see, our role is to abide with him. And in our context here, to remain in his glory. As a matter of fact, this is the same word, this mino is the same word that Jesus used over and over throughout John 15. You're probably familiar with this verse, John 15, 4, where Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And here's what this emphasizes for us. It emphasizes that our action is one that relies on him for its effect. In other words, whatever we do doesn't do anything. That we need his power to make our efforts effective in affecting this change and, and really transforming us from glory to glory. It tells us that we cannot do this on our own. That we have to remain with him to see the transformation that is described in this passage. So what do we do while we're remaining though? That's the other question. Yes, we're there, we're remaining, we're with him, but then do we just sit there, you know, twiddle our thumbs? What are we doing while we're remaining? The other verb, kataprizo, 
answers this question for us, and also explains why the word is translated as behold, which is sort of like an instruction to look at something, rather than simply to abide. You see, we are called to keep our attention focused on him, so that we can reflect as a mirror the glory of the Lord. So we're supposed to be looking at him, focused on who he is, as revealed to us in the scripture, as he has shown us in the Bible and by what he's done in our lives. But we're not supposed to do that in some sort of a quick and passing sense, but we're supposed to do it in an abiding sense from that word mino, so that we can reflect, katapritso, his glory. As we behold him in that way, we become more and more like him, reflecting his glory little by little, more and more. To describe this further, the passage goes on to tell us how we are transformed into the same image. And that phrase, the same image, what, what is Paul referring to whenever he says the same image? What image is he referring to? He's referring to what he talked about in the previous sentence, whenever he used the phrase, the glory of the Lord. This is why he goes on to say that we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Here's why this is so important. You see, we know that Genesis describes our original design and our original identity is this, that we are made in his image, that we are made in the image of God. But obviously sin has distorted that image because simply God is without sin. However, as we abide in him with our focus fixed on the glory of who he is, thinking about, meditating on how glorious he is, being inspired by the way that he is glorious, to imitate him. In that way, we make our way back to this original design. The other way of saying it is that we find our original identity. Maybe more accurately, I could say that God transforms us back into his image. You see, as we abide in him, beholding him, he restores our glory. And what do I mean by our glory? What I mean is the glory that we are reflecting, the glory, his glory that we are reflecting. And what, his, what is his glory? We talked about this just a, a portion of it last time. But his glory can be seen in his goodness and in his love. So as we meditate on him, as we are inspired to be like him, showing his love and showing his goodness to others, and that way we are showing his glory to all creation. In other words, he restores our identity through this process. You see, as a result of this, we're no longer lost and confused. We're, we're no longer without significance or purpose. We are transformed. We know who we are and why we're here. We are finally fulfilled. So what I, what I hope that you've seen in this is that we've seen why this matters. We've seen maybe why this is so important to us. We've seen how our glory, our purpose is inseparably tied to this instruction in Proverbs 25 too, to search things out. But when we feel lost, when we feel worthless, when we feel meaningless, this is the solution. This is the resolution to those problems. But how do we begin that? What's the first step in this process? What does it look like to start this journey? And what do we need to get moving down that path? Next time, we're gonna explore just that. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us here uh, on our podcast so that you can keep up with, with this series as we put out the posts. Um, the, the rest of these really will start to dive into what do we do whenever we're in a dry season and how do we struggle our way out of that? And maybe if you find yourself in that season, then these posts might be helpful to you. And they also talk about um, inspiring us to go a little bit deeper. So even if you feel like you're, you're, good, you're doing good, you're in a great season with the Lord, which I, I'm, that's great, that's great for you. 
but maybe these will inspire you to dig a little bit deeper. But I think that this series hopefully will be really helpful to you. I hope that today's post has been helpful to you. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. On Instagram, Monica does some, some pretty entertaining reels that I think that you might enjoy. Thank you again for joining us today.